Everything has changed. All the warnings and threats have been issued. The picture has been painted a thousand times. Bitter tears have been shed as the pleas for your recognition of your folly were expressed. Over and over again, to no avail, you heard, but you didn't listen. You nodded in agreement, but you didn't honor. You were told, you were warned, you were threatened, but you persisted. And now everything has changed. The wheels have come off. The wreckage of the resulting crash is now the debris of your present. You wonder, how did this happen? Or how did I get here? But you know. You always knew. But you ignored when you should have listened. And now everything has changed. Life's a mess. There's shame, guilt, pain, and embarrassment. Yes, there's hope. People have been through worse. Others have come out of nowhere to support you and to strengthen you. They speak words of love, support, and hope. You know that it can get better. You know it will get better, but you also know it'll take time. And today, time isn't your friend. Because time means that today, this moment, you must live in the debris, the carnage, and the pain. The signs were everywhere, but you disregarded them. The crash was sudden and spectacular, and now the aftermath is your home. And time still needs more, more time to remove, repair, and replace what's been destroyed. So the question you're left with is the same question asked by authors, poets, and songwriters for centuries. That is, how do I survive one more minute of this present reality? I don't, I don't know about you, but I can relate. Proverbs 22 and verse 3, the, the writer tells us that the prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple or the foolish or the stupid keep going and suffer for it. I don't know if you can relate to being warned over and over and over again and ignoring it. I don't know if you can relate to being in a situation where people give you great advice over and over and over again and tell you, listen, if you keep this up, if you keep down this path, it's going to end poorly for you. I don't know if you can relate to ignoring that, but I can. And that's where Israel, Judah, finds themselves in our text today. Because in chapter 40, everything's changed. In chapter 40, all the warnings are over. Right? All the times that the prophet showed up and said, listen, you've got to follow God. You've got to get rid of these false gods. You've got to burn down these high places. You've got to stop cheating on God. Because if you don't, things are going to go poorly for you. You see, all the years of the prophets speaking, the warnings are over because Judah didn't listen. In chapter 40, everything changed. The prophet now speaks to a nation who's ignored the warnings and their life is now rubble. What's left for these people is the debris of a life full of advice ignored. And I don't know if you can relate to that today. Those of you here and those of you online, I don't know if you can relate to ignoring and then sitting in the mess that ignoring those pieces of advice cost, but I can. And in chapter 40, in the first two verses, the prophet speaks to people who've done just that, who've ignored and ignored and ignored, and then their life comes to a sudden ruination 
But in the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet says these words, comfort, right? He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard services has been completed. That her sin has been paid for and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. You see, she didn't just ignore the warnings for decades of the prophets. She suffered the consequences of ignoring the warnings. And the prophet tells her the result of ignoring those warnings. It was hard. That season has been really difficult. As a matter of fact... You paid double for what you ignored. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. The prophet tells the nation of Judah in verse 3, listen, there's hope. Listen to the words of the prophet in verse 3. He says to them, a voice of one calling, in the desert prepare the way for the Lord. I don't know if that rings a bell to you, but it should. Because that is exactly the words used to describe John the Baptist when he made a way for Jesus. You see, the prophet tells the nation of Judah, you ignored the advice. You ignored the prophets who came and said, listen, you have to stop. You've got to follow God. You've got to stop cheating on him with all these false gods. You have to learn to follow God. Otherwise, it's going to go poorly for you. Judah ignored it. Jerusalem was destroyed. Their walls were torn down. The temple was desecrated. They've been deported into a false land they couldn't have imagined. Their life is a ruin. And the prophet says, listen, your season, your season of that is over. You've paid double for your sins and there's hope. Jesus is coming. There's hope on the way. But it's a long time from Babylonian captivity to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a lot of distance between sitting in the mess that you're in today. That's your fault. That's your fault. Because you didn't listen. This is your fault. The ruination and the smoke of the debris of your life that's a mess. It's your fault because you didn't listen. But there's hope. You know it. You know there's hope. But it's a long time from the mess to the mountaintop. And so the question is this. What do you do in the meantime? What do you do in the meantime when you're left sitting in the ruination of your life? Your marriage is over. Your children hate you. Or you hate your children. Pick one, right? You've lost your job. You're in financial ruin. You've run your friends off. You you picture the scene. But this is your fault. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. I can relate to ignoring great advice. I can relate to being warned over and over and over again. If you do this, if you keep this up, cord, this is going to happen. I can relate to ignoring that. And I can relate to a life that falls apart. And I can relate to living in the meantime. And so Isaiah today in the text speaks to a nation and he speaks to you and me today of what we do in the meantime. 
And in chapter 40 and verse 27 and following, he tells us some conditions that need to be present as we wait in the meantime. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to read these verses together. There's only four of them. And then we're going to talk through them just for a few minutes. But the prophet says this in verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my cause is disregarded by God. Do you not know and have you not heard? The Lord's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men will stumble and fall. But those who wait, the Hebrew word is much better translated, those who wait in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You can be seated. In 1945, Winston Churchill and Joseph Stalin and Harry Truman were meeting to discuss what the world was going to look like after the war was over. You see, the war in Europe had been won against Nazi Germany and the war in the Pacific would eventually be won a couple months later. And these three men met for eight days over nine meetings to discuss what the world would look like together. But unfortunately, at some point, Winston Churchill had to go back to England. Because for the first time in ten years, England was going to have a, was going to have a general election. And Stalin didn't have to go through that kind of dealing with Truman. The terms of the presidency had been set, and so he didn't have to leave. But Churchill had to go back. Because his party and his position were up for vote. And on July the 26th, 1945, Winston Churchill woke that morning with a sick feeling in his stomach that they were going to lose. And as the ballots were counted that day, sure enough, it was a landslide victory against Winston Churchill and his party. And so Churchill would never make it back to the meeting with Stalin and with Truman to discuss what the world would look like post-war. And as he staggered through the day to come to terms with the result, his wife Clementine said to him in a, in a moment where she tried to be encouraging, she said to Winston, this defeat might just be a blessing in disguise. To which Winston Churchill is, is to have said, at the moment, dear, it seems quite effectively disguised. You see, I don't know about you, but there are lots of blessings that live in disguise. And very few times is that more true than when you or I sit in the mess that's our fault. You see, I don't know if you can relate, but I can. I can relate to being warned and ignored. I can relate to having nodded my head and said, you're right, and then did my own thing. I can relate to those warnings happening over and over and over again and still marching forward. And then I can relate to my life falling apart and it being my fault. And I can relate. I can relate to knowing there's hope. But I can relate to knowing that it's going to take time to get from the mess to the mountaintop. So what do you do? 
What do you do? Isaiah tells us there are three conditions that he encourages us to have in the meantime. And here's the first one. You got to remember to worship. You got to remember to worship. Isaiah says in verse 28, he says this, do you not know and have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. You see, here's the thing about, about worship. We, we today oftentimes think of worship as what we do here today, right? What we did here this morning at 930, we stood in an air conditioned sanctuary away from the humidity and the heat of the sun, right? We're in here protected with walls. And if you just, if you just close your eyes and take a deep smell, you can just smell the hint of bacon in the air, right? It's a wonderful place to be asked to stand for three songs that are so well done. That you can choose whether to blend in and say nothing and blend in and not clap. Or you can choose to open your voice and sing and raise your hands because that's what worship is to us today. But worship in its truest form means to bend low. It means to put yourself in a proper position before something that's greater. You see, that's what worship is. Worship is surrendering the high ground to somebody who deserves it more. You see, part of the reason, part of the reason why you find yourself in situations that are a mess and broken and it's your fault is because you forgot. You're not worthy to be worshipped. You forgot the order. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. I can relate to forgetting the order. You see, worship at its core believes that there is someone smarter and stronger who has more power and more might than you and I could ever imagine. And we say it, listen, as believers in Jesus, we say it all the time. But in practice, it's a whole different thing. You see, worship requires you and I to supplant ourselves under somebody else. And as the prophet reminds us in those verses, our God is from everlasting to everlasting. He is not just the creator of the heavens and earth. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. No matter how far you go to search out the cosmos, our God has been there and done that. And there is no life too hard for him. There is no limit to his strength and might because he never grows weary or tired of you. And there is nothing that he does not know. You see, when we set in the mess that we make for ourselves because we ignored the warnings, we often do what Judah did in verse 27. We say to God, where are you? Have you forgotten me? Why Why am I left to sit in this mess in the meantime? The first thing that you and I need to be reminded to do is we need to worship. And I'm not here to tell you you should be turning on casting crowns and singing that. I'm not suggesting you should listen, right, to third day or mercy me and cry as you sing, even if. 
I'm talking about learning to surrender yourself and the position that you took when you said, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to ignore the great advice and I'm going to ignore the warning and I'm going to move forward. And I don't know if you can relate to what's left of that, but I can. Psalm 145 and verse 3 says this. You can read it with me, church. Everybody online, you can read it with me. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Listen, worship isn't just about songs. Worship, worship at its core is about a position. It's about prostrating yourself before someone who's greater. You want You want to survive in the meantime from the mess to the mountaintop? Listen, you got to remember to worship. You got to remember someone's greater, someone's higher, someone's stronger, someone knows more than you do. And that is our great God. Amen, church. You guys also recognize your weakness. You got to recognize your weakness. Verse, Verse 29 says this He gives strength to the weary. And he increases power of the weak. We've said this before, and, and there's no real evidence that this, that this quote is attributable to Muhammad Ali or not. But the story goes that one time Muhammad Ali was on a flight. Muhammad Ali was on a flight, and the flight began to experience some turbulence. And the, and the captain came over and said, you know, I'm going to need everybody to buckle their seatbelt. We're experiencing modern turbulence or moderate turbulence. The code for moderate turbulence is if you believe in a higher power, it's time to start praying, right? And so everybody put on their seatbelt except Muhammad Ali. And as the flight attendant was making her way through the cabin, she noticed that Muhammad Ali's seatbelt wasn't on. And she said to him, listen, sir, you need to put your seatbelt on. To which he replied, I don't need my seatbelt. Do you know who I am? And she looked at him in the middle of what I... Certain was a moment of complete shock. And he said, I'm Superman. And Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she replied, yeah, but Superman don't need no plane either. So why don't you sit down and buckle up, right? Listen, one of the most, compli- one of the most complicated things that you and I will ever do is be honest about our weakness. And listen, I'm not talking about this. This is not weakness. I'm a mess. I'm just a hot mess. Listen, that's not admitting you're weak. That's a cop-out. That's painting with a brush so broad just to cover up the fact that you won't be honest. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can I can relate to struggling with being honest about my weakness. You see, because to admit that you're weak before somebody means you have to trust that person. There's no vulnerability between you and another person or you and your God unless you trust that person. Oh, you might cover it at the surface level. You might say things like, oh, I'm just a mess. I'm just a sinner, right? I'm just a human. I, that's not the same thing. You see, when you're in the mess that you've made, that's your fault. Because you were warned. 
You were told over and over again. Teenagers, you can relate. Adults, we can relate. I can relate. And the mess you now live in in the meantime, it's your fault. One of the things you need to do in the mess to make it in the meantime is recognize your weak. And the great thing about those Hebrew words is they have the connotation of financial ruin. Right? You have to learn to admit in the mess that you're broke. That you have nothing. That you are completely incapable of fixing what you broke. Listen, it takes true trust in something to admit that you're weak. Listen, one of the most complicated things that human beings will ever do to each other is be vulnerable. Right? One of the, one of the authors that I wrote, wrote, said this, the world defines vulnerability as exposing oneself in such a way as to risk, risk exposure to harm. Right? We're afraid to be vulnerable people because what people, listen, what will people do with my vulnerability? They might post it on Facebook or social media. They may tell my boss. They may tell my friends. They may tell my family. We are hard pressed to be vulnerable with people because we don't trust them. They went on to say, God defines vulnerability as expressing oneself in such a way as to find exposure to health. You see, I don't know if you can relate, but I can. I can relate to sitting in a mess of my own making. And one of the things that God made abundantly clear to me in that mess is you and I, Court, have got some work to do. And it starts with you owning your weakness. Because the Bible says that weakness is where power is made perfect. There's a story in Second Chronicles I want to just cover very quickly. It's about a king whose name is Uzziah. And here's a few verses from Second Chronicles 26. And, and tell me if this isn't relatable at some level to some of you. Second Chronicles 26 and verse 4 says that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, the priest, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as Isaiah sought the Lord, God gave him success. It goes on to say that Uzziah in Jerusalem had made machines designed by skillful men for use on the towers and on the corner defenses to shoot arrows and to hurl large stones. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped. Everybody read it with me. Until he became, right? I don't know if you can relate, but I can. The Bible goes on to say of Isaiah, after he became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of the incense. And his result of that was that while he was doing that, God struck him with leprosy. And Isaiah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived alone in a separate house with leprosy excluded from the temple of the Lord. You see, part of the reason why we find ourselves at times in a mess of our own making is because we don't think we're weak. We've forgotten and we've become powerful. The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace 
to the humble. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse, verse nine, Paul says it this way. My, he's, he's begged God to take this issue away from him. And God said to me, to Paul, my grace is enough. It's more than enough for you, for my power. Listen to this. God's power is made complete in your what? Come on, say it church. In your weakness, not in your strength. God never said, I help those who help themselves. That was Benjamin Franklin. And the last I checked, Benjamin Franklin is not a recorded author in Scripture. God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul goes on to say this. He says, therefore, Paul writes, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, for some of you, the most important thing that you're going to get out of today's message is this. Because I don't know if you can relate, but I can. You and I need to learn how to recognize our weakness. And to do that, you're going to have to trust somebody, which is why you've got to remember to worship. You've got to know there's somebody greater and somebody stronger and somebody more powerful and somebody who's been there and somebody who'll never work himself to the point that he's tired of you. He never grows tired and never grows weary. There's nothing he doesn't know and there's no might he doesn't possess and there's no place he's never been and there's no situation he's never dealt with. Your God is able. And if you can trust that God to prostrate yourself before him, he's a God you can be honest with and be vulnerable with and recognize your weakness because in your mess that you've made you need God's power to be perfect and only in your weakness can you do that and the last thing you need to do is you need to respect the weight you need to respect the weight Philip Brooks was a pastor in the 1800s I'm why anybody would know him is beyond me, but there he is. By all accounts of everybody who knew Philip, he was a really calm man, patient, calm, took everything in stride. So one of his friends was really surprised when he walked in on Philip one day and he was pacing like a caged lion back and forth and upset. And his friend approached him and said, brother, what troubles you? To which Philip turned to his friend and said, listen, it seems that I'm in a hurry and God's not. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. You see, one of the most complicated things that happen is learning to wait. It says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, right? But for those who wait on the Lord... Right? Those who wait on the Lord, they will what? Renew their strength. Right? They'll soar on wings like eagles. Because listen, I don't know if you can relate to this, but I can. I can relate to ignoring the signs and the warnings and the advice, both from friends and family and God. And I can relate to just running through the stop sign. And destroying people's lives. And destroying my own life. And sitting in the debris of that. I can relate. I don't know if you can. 
And I know that the one thing that I wanted more than anything was for God to fix it right now. Because I don't know if I can sit in this any longer. I don't know if I can spend one more day in this house alone. I don't know if I can take one more minute of not being able to find another job. I don't know if I can take one more phone call from a creditor who needs money because I can't pay. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. And the one thing that everybody in that moment wants more than anything is for God to do what he's going to do and do it right now. But you got to respect the wait. You got to respect the wait. There, listen, <laughs> there ain't no shortcuts to getting through the mess. You can want it. You can plead for it. There ain't no shortcut in getting through the mess that you've made. You got to respect the wait. The psalmist says it this way. And this verse, Psalm 27, verse 13, man, for some of you, this might be the reason that you're here. This verse is a life, has been a life verse to me over the years. I am still confident, the psalmist writes, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Man, that verse, I drank that verse dry over the years. God, I know that I will see goodness once again in the land of the living. The problem is, if you read it without verse 14, you're going to be in trouble. Because the first, very next verse says this. Wait for the Lord. It seems that I'm in a hurry, but God is not. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I don't know if you can relate, but I can. You see, the hardest thing I ever had to do in my life was wait for the Lord in the middle of a mess that I created. And here's the thing. Waiting in your own mess, that's not for sissies. It takes strength and courage to do it. And here's the cool thing about the Hebrew word for wait. The Hebrew word for wait has at its core the idea of twisting things together. Right? Of bonding things together. And so if there's one thing that I would say to you, if you can relate, or that you're heading toward this 14 car pileup of your life because you won't listen. Here's a piece of advice from a person who can relate. And that's this. Don't wait alone. Don't wait alone. Listen, it is so easy to feel sorry for yourself when you wait in your own mess. And I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can't. The embarrassment, the pain, the guilt, the shame, it's all present. And listen, waiting, waiting in your mess seems like the most appropriate thing to do alone. Why would anybody want to join me here? Why would anybody want to help me here? They told me what would happen and I didn't listen. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I can. But don't buy the lie. That you've got to sit in that mess alone. Find somebody who'll wait with you. 
And remember, it always starts with waiting with God. Just That did not happen. <laughs> Children's ministry is a little short staffed this weekend. And so last night when I came in the building, I, one, of our, one of our children's ministry staff persons looked at me and said, are you preaching tonight? And I said, yeah. And she was like, ah. and I said to her, listen, I promise, man, when that, when that thing goes off, I'll listen. Let's just agree. No one heard it. Okay. Listen, and here, here's my father's day joke. I just want to say this right up front. Right, I didn't know if I was going to be a good father or not, but I learned pretty quickly I was probably going to struggle. I remember when my son came to me with his apple. He was old enough and he'd, eat, he'd taken a bite of an apple and he'd apparently let it sit on his dresser. And he came to me and it was brown. And he said to me, Daddy, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. He said, why did the apple turn brown? And I said, well, son, that's easy. I said, because when you took a bite out of the apple and you removed the skin, you exposed the meat of the apple to the air and that caused it to oxidize. And when that happened, the molecular structure changed and the color changed. And my son looked at me and about 30 seconds later, he said, daddy, are you talking to me? I knew right then I was in trouble, right? Listen, there's nothing easy about waiting on the Lord. Especially in a mess that you've made yourself. Especially when you've remembered to worship. Especially when you recognized your weakness. One of the most complicated things that you and I will ever do is learn to wait. Psalm 130 and verse 5 says this, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. And in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, he writes it this way. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock, and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. This is one of the best things that you'll ever learn to do is wait in your own mess. Because what God will do while you wait will be supernatural. You can't bypass it. So listen, I don't know if you can relate church or not. I don't know if you can relate. There's an old hymnal. There's an old hymnal, a gospel hymnal that says these words. You can't hurry God. You just have to wait. Trust and give him time, no matter how long it takes. He's a God you can't hurry. You don't have to worry. He may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. He's always right on time. Respect the wait. You see, I don't know if you can relate to making a mess of your own life because you just wouldn't listen. But I can Judah made a mess out of their lives because they wouldn't listen. And there are conditions that need to exist for you and I when we're in that. you got to remember to worship. And listen, if you're here this morning, you're watching online and you, you don't know Jesus, you've never surrendered the top dog spot of your life 
to God and accepted Jesus, listen, for you today, that's where it has to start. There's a gospel, there's good news that you may not know about. And if God's been working on your heart to do that, listen, today's the day. Right up here to the right of the stage, we'll have a group of people for you to talk to and to pray with, to talk over that decision. And if you're online, just hit that button. I have decided there'll be somebody there that will immediately speak with you and and talk with you and answer your questions. And listen, you got to remember to recognize your brokenness. Not I'm just a mess, but true vulnerability to God. And for some of you, that's going to require some help because you're going to have to wait and waiting alone ain't no fun. Right up here to the left of the stage is our prayer team at the end of the service. Maybe what you need is to find somebody who will wait in your mess with you. If that's the case, man, we want to encourage you to make your way up front. And if you're online, listen, all you've got to do is hit that prayer button and somebody will be with you. Listen, it's, it's not for everybody, I know. And maybe you can't relate, but I can. Because I've been in seasons of my life where everything changed because I messed it up. And I just want you to know this, church, that even in your mess, there's a way to make it to the mountaintop. Because there's always, always hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Thank you for never giving up on us. No matter how complicated we've made it or how big a mess we've made of our life, Lord. No matter how high the smoke rises or how much rubble we've created in the debris of our wreckage, God, you have never, you have never left us or forsaken us. You're not a God who abandons those that you love. And so today, God, I don't know who can relate. But man, I can. I can relate to a God who is worthy to be worshiped. I can relate to forgetting the order. Man, I can relate to a people who are hesitant and uncertain to own their own weakness before you. And man, I can relate to a God who is the most trustworthy of all. That no matter what I give you, You don't scoff, you don't quit, you never grow tired or weary of me. And man, I can relate to wanting the mess to be over today. And I am so grateful for God that does the miraculous in the lives of individuals who are willing to wait on the Lord. So God, I don't know who can relate today. But hopefully some did. And I pray, God, that you would fill in those gaps for them as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.